Take your Bibles, and this morning in, in Bible Study Catalyst, we actually were learning about generous giving. And if you missed out, you missed out, right? You missed out on instructions and discipleship on how you should actually give of the resources that the God has given you. And so, but this morning, I want to talk about on the seven marks to running to win, how we're going to give of our whole life, not just our finances, to the Lord. And I want you to do this. I want you to grade yourself. How do you score yourself today? See if you're actually more mature this year as a disciple of Christ than you were last year. And you say, well, how can I know? Well, one, we're going to use Scripture, and you're going to use Scripture as your main basis. But two, you're going to use your checking account to see if you're actually more mature this year than you were last year for giving. A lot of people say, Pastor, I don't give to the, to the Lord's work or the church because I just can't afford them. I'm so far in debt. And what is my response? Sell something. You got in debt because many times, now there's medical debt, I understand, there's other kind of debt, but if you have that excess, you have more stuff, and it's holding you down, listen, you're missing out. You're going to face the Lord one day and give an account for every dollar that went in our accounts and out of our accounts. You say, well, is this all about giving? No, listen, giving's between you and the Lord. I don't care what you give. You understand? I'm not asking you to give to a campaign, to a new building, to a new bus. It's between you and the Lord you're giving. Out of those resources that we're giving as stewards of the Lord's resources, we buy those things or pay the bills or do whatever God calls us to do. But your giving is 100% between you and the Lord. But you know what your giving is. Amen? Or you should. My wife knows what ours is. I have to ask her occasionally. Uh, uh, because it, it's with joyful giving, the Lord says he loves a cheerful giver. How many cheerful givers have you ever seen in the church? There are some. Pastor, I can't wait to help with that. We built the well. People are just so excited about the well. People are excited about the new things we're doing. If it's a project, what about the day in and day out? The giving to that. Look, Pastor, I want to give myself. I want to go, and I want to show you today of giving of your whole self because people are watching. So today's sermon title is simply this. We're in that seven marks of a disciple running to win, and that's half the, that's half of the title. The other half is standing in faith, faithfulness. And I want you to look at your notes before I read the scripture, just the paragraph. We commonly refer to Hebrews chapter 11. That's before the one we're getting to today. The hall of faith. Listed are the righteous saints of the past who gave all so that they might receive their prize. Chapter 12, where we're starting today, begins with a challenge. And then I want you to see the challenge. Will we accept the Holy Spirit-inspired challenge? Do y'all believe all of scripture is inspired by God? I don't think you do. Let me tell you why I don't think you do. It's because you haven't read the Bible all the way through this year, right? Or all the way through, period. What happens is we say we believe the whole Bible is God's word and we don't read it. It's secondary or third or fourth. It stays in our car all week or it lays on the counter. And we might grab a devotional each week, but we won't actually read the word of God. So I want to challenge you, if you think you think the Bible's inspired, <clears throat> then read the Bible. Because it's God's love letter to you and to me. It's 66 books. And some of you are more ignorant than a first grader on the scriptures. You're like, I don't know the Ten Commandments. I don't know the Twelve Original Apostles. I don't know, and, and you go on and on. How do you start to know facts? You start to study the facts. You start to study information. And you won't just study the Bible and say, okay, I'm going to become a Christian that way. You will study the Bible as a Christian. If you're not a Christian, the Bible says God blocks you from understanding the Scripture. Do you understand that? He, he says, you will not understand the scripture. A natural man, woman, cannot understand the scriptures. 
Only when you're born again, give your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you receive him as your personal Lord and Savior, then and only then does he give you the righteous avenue, righteous access to understand the word and make application in your life. You can study it as a textbook, but you're like, I don't get it. It's just a book. I don't get it. What's all this Jewish stuff? What's all this Exodus stuff? What's all this blood about? And you won't understand it because God said you won't understand it. There's no way to understand it unless you're a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It just makes no sense to you why people would spend their time studying an ancient book like this. This ancient book is written by the inspiration of, of men wrote it as inspired by God. And listen, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, right? Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus never changes. And so as we're inspired, as we read this today, see if it's not as, as current as today's newspaper, as today's news on the Internet. Watch and see how the Word of God challenges us. Let's begin. Let's begin. And so chapter 11, you need to go back and read that. And that's really a cool story. If you have family devotions, that's packed full of uh, at least a week or two of family devotions if you want to read those. Chapter 12, the therefore there is to find out what it's there for. So you have to go back to verse 11. But chapter 12, verse 1, Hebrews 12, verse 1, Hebrews 12, verse 1. When you there say amen. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with, what does your Bible say? Endurance or ability. What are we going to do? The race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, for consider him... Who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, what does the Bible say? He chases or he disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. Verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? If that was only true today, huh? Verse 8. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Finally in verse 11, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's go back and see from the word of God uh, what God is trying to tell us today. Let's pray. Father God, would you open our eyes and ears as we read this word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to see, Mike, I didn't set any of these guys up to, to share their story this morning, uh, but a couple of them said how much wiser their dad got the older they become, right? As we become fathers, you start seeing that, hey, your dad had a little more wisdom than we thought. It, we, as a kid, a lot of times your father's your hero. As a teenager, your father's a zero, Right? Uh, he won't let you do anything fun. He won't let you have any, anything that you, that you want, really want. And then when you start becoming your 20s, 30s, whatever it might be, 
you start saying, my dad was pretty smart, right? He knew how to th- do things or fix things or be about things. And we're all that way. We can say things about our mothers, but today's Father's Day, so Mother, your day passed in May, okay? Uh, it's our parents. The Bible says to honor your father and your mother, that you may live long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. He said it in Exodus 20 as a part of the Ten Commandments, and he said it again in Ephesians. You'll see the two e-books, Exodus Ephesians, both say to honor your father and your mother, that you may have with a promise. The promise is that you may live long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. You, Or am I saying that God will kill you if you dishonor your father and your mother? Yes. That was quiet in here, right? Because I was like, oh, man, I messed up. I'm on borrowed time. But listen, the opposite is true. So when Scripture tells you something that's true, you've got to say the opposite is true as well many times, right? And so when we dishonor parents, you come and see, say somebody's life's falling apart. Well, how are you treating your mom and dad? Well, I don't like my dad, and I don't like my mom or whatever it might be. Or I don't know them. I'm adopted, fill in the blank, whatever the situation you're in. The Bible says you must honor them because you had to have a father and you had to have a mother to get here today. Amen? You might not know them personally, but you, you might not even like them, but you had to have them to get here. And that's why we honor God the Father, and we say, listen, I don't know them, or I don't like them, or we don't have a lot of things in common, but I want to honor my father and my mother. That's a, that's a, a guideline from God, uh, a command from God. So I want you to see this as we look into our giving of ourselves and giving of our resources and giving of our lives, and as we look as fathers. It's amazing how God ties this scripture in to, to today. We didn't plan it out. It wasn't a long-term plan. Uh, that we set out and said, this will be Father's Day's message. We, we don't do that. Here's what the first part says. Look, we are surrounded. Look at your notes. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness. And I used to think, when I used to read that as a kid, is, is there a bunch of people looking out of heaven like this, checking us out? And that's not what he's saying. That's not what the Scripture's teaching. The Scripture's teaching for us to look back in verse 11, and he's talking about, look, here's some of the names I wrote down. Abel, Enoch. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And then he goes on and tells all these other people who have suffered greatly for the name of Christ. They look forward. The Bible says they were looking forward to the day that Jesus would come. They were looking forward to the promise, and they stood, having been tempted, having been tested, they stood saying, He's coming like He said He would. They died not seeing him. Now, here we are today in the 21st century. We're living knowing that he has come, and he says he's coming again. Amen? You don't believe that either, do you? He has come, and he's coming again. Amen? If you believe it, listen. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's time to say so, right? So. It is so. Well, look at the verse, second part of verse 1. As we spiritually mature, we must strip off every unnecessary sin what's your choice sin today these sins easily entangle us as we strive the holy spirit's leading to live the christian life or i don't know what i'm doing but I'm, i'm bumping something i guess the devil don't want us to hear this today you have sins in your life that easily entangle you you know what it is if it's alcohol cigarettes whatever your choice is drugs prescription medication uh, stuff on the internet, stuff el- elsewhere, you know what sin easily entangles you. Now, it's easy to do like this and point to everybody else, right? Do it just for a moment. Everybody just point to everybody else. Just point to somebody, right? It's easy to talk about their sin, right? Now, I know what they're doing. Spouses, families, oh, we know about each other because uh, we like to do this oftentimes, right? 
You should have seen the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a lot of this, right? Brothers from Oklahoma, Arizona, Utah. Everybody's like, he said, she said. And they cut the microphone off. Cut it off. Cut it off. Because nobody wanted to hear what everybody else had to say. Because it's easy to point what you're doing wrong. The Bible says clearly, as the writer of Hebrews is writing, saying, listen, there's these sins, and you know what they are. They're so easily entangle us, and yet we can't fight them. We call them today addictions, obsessions. We've got every name except for sin. The Bible calls what you're doing wrong against God sin. You say, well, I don't like that. Take it up with God. He's the one that made you. He's the one that wants to save you, and he's calling it sin. You know what your sin is. And, and you have to deal with your sin because the Bible says we must run. We're running a race. Mackenzie ran a marathon like something crazy. She, she would go out, I'm going to go run 17 miles. Uh, what? I'm going to go jogging 16 miles. The most insane thing. And she's not built to run long distances. She was, she was always my sprinter. And like me, she, she was fast, uh, quick and fast, right? Short distance. And she ran cross country one year. She competed as a junior Olympic. And she said, Dad, I will never do this again. She lied to me and herself. She trained for a marathon, and she ran and completed the marathon this past year. Uh, but she would call me, and she did call me. Hey, Dad, I'm over on the north side. Can you come get me? I'm tired, right? And I, what a, a good dad says, no. I'm just kidding. Yes, I went and picked her up. But she was training for the race. She had a prize in mind. It was a cheap piece of metal that say, that she, and say she's knocked off her bucket list that she's going to run a marathon. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen anyone running a marathon or anyone in the Olympics, Summer Olympics, carrying luggage when they run? A backpack on? What does, what does a runner do? Shed everything that you can. Get rid of everything you can that's light, lightweight shoes. Get rid of uh, those girly-looking shorts that you run in. Uh, anything as light as you possibly can to run, right? Because you have a purpose. And what's the purpose? I'll get in trouble later for using the word girly. I know somebody will say that. Those, those shorts that you wear, the running shorts. What is the goal of a runner? Obviously, the goal should be to win the race, right? But in the long term, it is to finish the race. There's a prize sitting at the end at the goal waiting for you. That's the way we as Christians are. We, when we become a Christian, when Mike talked about his father, and when we talk about our fathers becoming Christians, dads are to pull off that old junk because, listen, everybody that's a dad has junk or sin in his life or has had in his life. And it's dads, we have to continue to take that off. Mothers, we have to take that off. And even young people that aren't parents yet, you've got to run that race so as to take that off and run for the prize. You know what entangles you. That's why you get godly counsel. Don't go to the professionals out there. I saw uh, when I was going, down, uh, uh, going up to Charlotte, uh, there's big billboards. If you're having problems with your family, yes, check. Uh, having emotional stress, yes, Anxious, yes, all these different yeses, boxes on a big, big billboard. And it was a psychiatrist. Come get medication and counseling. Many times we need simply to come to Jesus, the great physician, and sit down and tell him our problems and let him wipe us clean, if you will, to confess our sins to him, as the Bible says, and to make us new. That's what the Bible's clear about, that how we can actually get a fresh start. Are there really mental disorders today? Yes. But what is the number one topic of what's going on in our society? It's mental issues. It was at the Southern Baptist Convention. Everything's mental issues, mental issues, mental issues. And mental health is very important. Don't, let, don't ever walk out of here saying, I don't care about people with mental health issues. I do. But a lot of the mental health that we're saying is, we're classifying as mental health is actually sin today. We've, we've bombarded our hearts with so much sin. Uh, abortion's rampant today. Uh, drug use is rampant today. 
South Carolina, we didn't pass medical marijuana. And y'all know exactly. I just was in Denver. Uh, there's marijuana on every stinking corner. It started out as medical marijuana just to help those with pain. And then it turned into recreational marijuana. And you can buy it anywhere you want to buy it in Denver, Colorado. And people are complaining. Listen, Pastor, you wouldn't have any clue. When I was talking to some folks, you can't go somewhere to the bus stop without it smelling so bad that you, you almost feel like you're going to be high yourself. So it started out as something good. And it passed on to recreational marijuana. The devil always does that. He comes in slick. It's coming back to South Carolina. How many of you contacted your legislators? We, we, we went through the battle. And it was ruled just out of order because of the South Carolina State Supreme Court. But it's coming back this year to South Carolina. As don't you want to help those who have pain? And the answer is, do we want to help them? Yes. But listen, in order to re- be relieved of your pain from medical marijuana, you have to be high. Do you want somebody high on the job working beside you? You want anybody high on the job making a production or the nuclear plant? You want someone high driving down the road because their back hurts so bad they smoked the joint so they could be relieved? No, those are things we have to take off and say, listen, there's got to be another avenue. There's got to be something else that we can have. Sometimes, listen, God's, how many, I know people that I've counseled with people have severe pain. They cannot get over it from injuries or from back, uh, backs and, and hearts and, and things that have happened. So my heart hurts, but... At the same token, I don't want a lot of folks just strung out on alcohol or drugs or, or prescription medication for that matter. Pharma, the original word, is similar to witchcraft. Did you know that? You've got to see it for yourself. It's hard to tell somebody who has an addiction that you have an addiction. Would you agree? It's hard to get a family together and say, listen, we need to talk to you. You have an addiction. We see you're killing yourself. You're killing your family. You're killing your witness because you have an addiction. But listen, that's no reason to stop trying. Amen? Speak to our brothers and sisters, our fathers and mothers in love. Try to help them take off those sins so easily ensnares them. It started out as something simple. It started out as a small procedure. And doctors continue to write those prescriptions sometimes, and the addiction starts. Listen, the Bible is very clear. Strip off those unnecessary sins. Also in verse 1, we are challenged to run with endurance and actively persist in the race we personally have set before us. All of us have our own personal race. Your race is not my race, and my race is not your race. Even though we're racing to the same place, right, and we have the same prize, is to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. That's where we're going to be living for a short time, and then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Is anybody looking forward to those days of actually in the new heavens and a new earth? We have something to look forward to. And listen, I can't wait to be in heaven. When I die here on earth, I want to transition knowing I'm going to be in a very holy place. But I don't want to be so different that I didn't know Jesus here and didn't know him all of a sudden have to get to know him for all those years. Listen, we should know him because we, and we can know him. The Bible is very clear about that. Let's continue. I want you to see this. The faith race requires us to focus. There we go. I brought in the focus. See, thank you, Lord. The faith race requires us to focus our eyes on Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter, or your Bible might say finisher, of our faith, of mature Christian faith. Don't you want to grow up? How many kids want to get big when they're little? It goes like this, right? How old are you, son? Six and a half. We're never, we're never six or seven. Six and a half. Our little girl, I'm almost ten, right? Never tell you, oh, so you're nine. But yeah, but I'm almost ten. And then we're going to be teenagers, can't wait to be 13 because that means you're official. And then can't wait to be 16 so you can drive. Can't wait to be 21 so you can actually be an illegal adult. And then you can't wait to be six and a half again, right? When all the stresses of life start, you want to go back to be what you used to be. 
That's just human nature, how we always are. We want something we can't have, and we don't look forward. Sometimes we look backwards. I want you to see this. Our focus, our eyes on Jesus Christ. Hold your place and go to Galatians chapter 5, if you would, with me. Galatians 5. We're going to come back to Hebrews. I want you to see this. Galatians 5, verse 7. Let's begin there. There's a Bible in front of you there if you don't have your Bible with you today. Dads, I want to encourage you. Let your kids see you opening the Word of God and actually look at, look at it for yourself. Galatians 5, 7. When you're there, say amen. Paul goes back and is talking to the church at Galatia. He's, he's speaking to them, and he's talking about their Christian liberty. And he says this in verse 7. You ran well. Isn't it amazing how all this athletic conversation is happening in the Bible? You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Who is him, church, that calls you? It's Jesus Christ. The one who calls you to be faithful is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He's talking about yeast rolls. How many of you guys like yeast rolls? Sourdough bread. You know, you throw the yeast in there and it actually helps the bread to rise. That's what he's talking about. When, when sin comes into your life, it helps your sin to rise. Amen? Watch this. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, this is the, to the Jewish families, uh, Jewish customs, if I just preach circumcision only, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, remember there's another teaching that's been coming to the church of Galatia saying, oh, you've got to be circumcised to be a Christian. Any men want to take that up today? Anybody want to become a Christian but first go through circumcision out back? I, I would walk away from the faith, I'm pretty sure, uh, because as a man. It, it, listen, so this is the practical, what Paul's trying to say. Listen, don't let somebody come in and tell you something different. Don't let people offend you away from the faith because they're saying it's Jesus plus something else. And many times there's many denominations that are teaching Jesus plus something else. Church of Christ will teach you Jesus plus baptism equals salvation. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's Jesus alone. The Catholic Church will teach you to pray to Mary and ask for a favor or pray to the saints. Listen, it's Jesus alone. Salvation in Christ alone, that's it. And then baptism is an obedient command that he says to do to profess him. Listen, publicly say, follow me as I follow Christ. Watch, I died with Christ. I'm buried with Christ in death, raised to walk in newness of life. As those candidates were baptized today, they demonstrated to you, listen, I'm a Christian. I identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Hold me accountable to the Christian standard, and that's our job. Back to this, what Paul says here to the church of Galatia, verse 14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Brothers and sisters, do you even know your neighbors? Do you love them? Sometimes the neighbors can drive you crazy, can't they? That's a big amen right there, right? Look to your left and right. Those are some of your neighbors. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Here's the transition, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is those sins that easily beset us. How do I help myself? How do I get out of this? And you cannot live the Christian life by yourself. Did you know that? You can't do it. It's got to be the empowerment of the Holy Spirit through you. When you give yourself over to him, he then works in and through your personality, in and through your life to help you say and do the very things that he wants you to say and do. Verse 17, for the flesh, that's, the, that's natural, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. 
and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He talks about the works of the flesh. You can read those and say, this is evident on TV today, or things in people's lives, verses 19, 20, and 21. What's important in 21, those who practice these things, as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Can you have a habitual sin constantly over and over that you practice that sin and be a Christian? Only Christians inherit the kingdom of God. Is that true? Come on, y'all. This, we're just doing Bible 101. Only Christians go to heaven. Would you agree? Based on what the Word of God says, not what we think. The Bible's here saying these are the list of sins. And look down those sins. Look down those sins. If you're an alcoholic, if you're someone strung out on prescription medication, if you're someone that actually has an addiction you can't get over, you say, I just can't beat it. I just can't beat it. Let me tell you, my brothers, my sisters, listen. You need to check that list and see what he says about that list. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Just because you come to church every Sunday, every time the door is open, you're not guaranteed to go to heaven. You're playing games with God. And by the way, God doesn't play games. He says, this is how it is. And if you don't like it, you're going to either face his judgment or you're going to change your heart. That should have been a big amen right there. You're going to face his judgment. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. You say, Pastor, how dare you say that about me? Should I read it again from the scripture that God said it? Does it offend you that God says this? It should, and it should scare you, it should offend you, it should make you angry, but it should lead you to repentance and a change of heart. You've got to give it up. You've got to give those sins that so easily entangle you. Listen, are you so tied to the sins that you can't see Jesus, the Savior? If, if that's true, listen, those who practice, that means over and over. This doesn't mean, don't walk out here and say, that pastor's crazy. He thinks if I just sin one time, I'm not going to heaven. That's not what it says. It says those who practice such things. And we used to, we were young men, we used to practice football. What does that mean? Every stinking day. We had two-a-days, right? We had, we had to practice in the morning. And how would they punish us? No water. We had some crazy idiotic coaches that, that, we, that we, we were not hydrated properly. We, we, two-a-days, we were exhausted. We'll make us tough, right? They were trying to kill us, literally. Here's what I want you to understand. If you understand when I say, why did we practice football? What was the purpose? One, we were terrible, but what was the other purpose? Friday night's coming, right? There's a game on Friday. We practice that we might play. Why do college students practice football? Because Saturday's coming. Why do the pros practice? Because why? Sunday's coming or Monday's coming, right? There's, there's, there's football. There's a game coming. The game day's coming. So why do we practice sin? It's because we're in that game and we want to actually get the end of that game, which is hell. We want to go to hell. Anybody? That's right. No, that's a good answer. Nobody in their right mind wants to go to hell, but yet if you practice your sins, the Bible says you are going to hell. You're not going to heaven. You say, well, I've helped the poor. Look what it says from the Word of God. This is ABC 123 elementary children understand this. But watch, here's the good news. It's the good news twisted into there. The Lord don't want to leave us hanging with judgment. Beautiful God that we serve. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And all those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also do what? 
Walk in the Spirit. That means walk it out. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What in the world? Paul is telling us there's something we have to do in this life. It's not just get saved and let God do the rest. It's like riding, when I was in the airports, all those moving uh, sidewalks. Y'all been on those? It's so nice. You just don't have to walk. It does it for you. That's not the Christian life. You still got to walk it out in the Christian life. You actually still have to exercise and do the things that God's called us to do day by day. I even saw when I would see some couples, they would get on, and it was so funny to watch because I had a long time in the airport layover to watch the wife get on the moving sidewalk and the husband kind of speed up walking, and they would end up racing, both of them running down, one down the smooth, running, uh, moving sidewalk, one down the carpet area. It was fun. I was like, that's what Sunday sermon's about. If I could just get a picture of them racing towards the goal, and the goal was just to get to the end of the moving sidewalk and then rejoin hands again. That's what our goal is. If we just, listen, get through this life, listen, does everybody have a birthday? Do you know what it is? Say your birthday all outside, one time out loud. Ready? Say your birthday. Go. So everybody knows when their birthday is. Enjoy it. Oh, somebody missed it. Let's do it again. All together. Say your birthday. Ready? One, two, three. All right. Tell me when you're going to die. Ready? Go. All right. Listen. The answer is, the answer is we don't know. But the, just as the Lord knows your birthday, he also knows your death day. Amen? You're on his calendar. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Do you understand? He's not trying to scare you, even though it's true. It is a fearful thing. We're going to die. Watch this. How many know somebody that died within your family or friend group? Raise your hand. Look around. Just raise your hand if you know somebody's died. It's us. We know this. But what do we do between now and then, whenever then is? We live, we start taking off the sins that so easily beset us. Listen, I got this issue, Pastor. How can you help me? How can I help you? Well, I might put you with another brother or sister. Listen, if you're a man with a man, a woman with a woman, I've got issues. Listen, how do you get through that? You just take to the Word of God, get godly counsel, and you take off that sin. You take off that sin. You take off that sin, and you're looking for taking all the weight off till I get to my prize, and that is being with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me move quickly. Verse 2, look in your, look, verse 2b. Jesus joyfully endured the suffering and shame of the cross for our redemption. He didn't get anything out of it except to redeem you and me from our sins. Isn't it amazing to think about? Holy God came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us, that he might take on your sins. He took on flesh, took on skin like us, tempted in every way we've been tempted. And by the way, temptation is not a sin. If you're tempted to do the wrong thing, that is not sin until you act or look again or until you do again or until you process it. That's when sin happens. But Jesus joyfully endured the suffering and shame of the cross. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. When he said, it is finished, guess what he meant? It is finished. It's done. Everything that needs to be done for you to go from earth to heaven has been done. It's been completed. For all those righteous saints that uh, Hebrews 11 talks about, they were waiting for the day the Messiah would come. And when Jesus died on the cross, listen, the Bible says he went down and, and, and he went down to the place of death. Some translations say hell. Did Jesus go, did Jesus go to hell? Is Jesus afraid of hell? Who created hell? God did. So is God afraid of hell? Hell is no big thing to God other except that he created it for the devil. Matthew says he created it for the devil and his angels. He didn't create it for the devil and his angels and those he predestined to go there. It's not what the Bible says. Jesus himself said, hell was created for the devil and his angels, those fallen angels. That's 
the whole purpose of the refining fires of hell. I'm happy to be one of those people who believe hell is holy. It's the holy fires of God bringing about his judgment over and over for eternity because he's God. And he's told us, don't come here, don't go there. And when Jesus, I believe, when he died on the cross, he stood between the righteous dead and the unrighteous dead. And he said, look, righteous dead, I am who I said I am. I told you I was coming, and here I am. And he's there with him forever in paradise. Unrighteous dead, they saw him, I believe. And listen, there's not one person in hell cursing God. The people in hell, listen, probably the best. If we could bring everybody from hell, we would win the world for Jesus Christ. Because everybody in hell would tell you, it's true, it's true. He's the Messiah. We should have trusted him. We couldn't wait. We like these earthly pleasures more than we liked our eternity. And here we are. Everybody in hell would be a tremendous, better evangelist than most people sitting in this church today. If we could bring them back. What did the rich man say to Lazarus? Touch my tongue with just a drop of water. Abraham said, nope. Can't come over there. There's a gulf between us, brother. Can't come over there. Then send him back and tell my brothers, don't come to this place. He wanted, listen, the rich man who was in hell wanted Lazarus, who he couldn't stand on earth, to go back and tell his brothers about Jesus Christ, about salvation. Don't come to this place. And the only way not to come to that place is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And Abraham said, if they won't believe Moses and the law, they won't even believe it if a man comes back from the dead. Does that sound like us today in America? Very much so, it is. Let me get to finish your notes. We have been exhorted as sons not to give up or give in when it gets hard. It is going to get harder, church. Do you hear that? Hear that from here today from this pulpit. It's going to get harder. Gas prices are going up. The world's coming against us. We look at all the different things. Food prices are going up. People are going to be hungry. We're going to start seeing famine. I believe in disease and all over the world. I believe we're going to see it. It's coming. And I want to tell you, listen, so is the Lord Jesus Christ. Look up. Because I believe he's coming, church. Write this to you if you're taking notes. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25. I won't have time to look at that today. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 25. Peter basically exhorts you and me to live holy as God is holy. Can you live a holy life here on earth? That's a question many people ask. Can a Christian live a holy life here on earth? Answer is, if the Bible says, Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord, what is the expectation of the Lord? Holy living. You can do it. Will you become perfect? Absolutely not. If someone tells you you will receive perfection in this life, they're lying to you. Call them a liar to their face because they're lying to you. You won't receive perfection here and now, but listen, the hereafter you will receive your perfected, glorified body. Number one, and I want to finish this out because, listen, the devil's not going to win today. I have a dog on, Right? Here's what we're going to do. There is an eternity waiting for every single one of us. Every single one of us here today. And you'll know this when you're there. You're going to be sitting there one day. Like the rich man asking, please go tell my family don't come here. But dads, let me encourage you today. Moms, let me encourage you today. Do it today. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ today. Know that you know that you know that you've received the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you won't see your family go there. I think that was the biggest catalyst for me is to think about when I had children. It's like, I do not want my children to go to hell, if it's real. And I struggle with that. Would my kids go to hell? Guess what, dads? You've heard the song. It's a country song. I know I don't like some of the country music, but I like the song. I want to be like you, dad. You've heard it? And the... And, Little boys, little girls want to be like their daddies and mamas and, or whoever the, they model for them. They want to be like you, and they're going to be like you. If you sow seeds to the flesh, church is not important. Did y'all know there's people who still aren't going to church because of COVID? 
Can I tell you something? It's not because of COVID. It's because of their sins that so easily beset them. They love their sinful stuff. They like sitting there watching football, church, football, church, football, church. Or they like to do all the things they want to do because I got time. I can't go to the lake and come to church. I can't do all the things I want to do to go shopping. I get my shopping done. I get my sleeping done. I get my laundry done on Sunday, Pastor. I don't have time to get to church because I might get COVID. That's a lie. That's a lie. But there's people who are still not meeting today and blaming COVID for it. God forbid. God forbid. Do we take the proper precautions? Yes. Did it cost us a lot of money? Oh, yes, it did. Are we still taking precautions? We're trying to. But listen, we're not fools of this world. We're fools for Christ, if anything. We follow Christ. Finally, earthly dads are the example God uses for us rightly to understand his discipline. In verse 9, this is the example in Scripture. We have had earthly fathers. And I wish this was true today. This, was, this is true 2,000 years ago. Today this, today, this isn't true. Uh, we, it'd be so hard pressed to find daddies following this pro, uh, prescription. Everybody says, well, I just don't know how to raise these kids, Pastor. There's no book that came with them. Uh, yes, there is. It's called the B-I-B-L-E, right? You want to know how to discipline your children? Go to Proverbs 22. You parents who, if you're not even parents yet, newlyweds or parents of young children, Proverbs 22 tells you clearly how to discipline your own children, right? Well, Pastor, I just don't want to spank my children because I don't know what to do. Get over yourself, make application, take one stick, apply to one behind, and therefore it is finished. Amen? That's the prescription. Stick, crepe myrtle stick, or we had hickory trees on the rear end. That's a hard tree limb. A couple swats, it finishes the deal. And what happens when a little child gets spanked? They cry, they're mad, they're sucking snot, and then they go to the room, and then they come back later and do what? They want to hug the very people who spanked them because they understand something inside of us, God has put inside of us saying, listen, discipline is only for a season. And then you get older and they get grounded. What happens when they get grounded? Most people say, how many licks would it take me to get out of this grounding, right? Because grounding was worse. We know as kids get older, we treat them differently. But the Lord gives this example. Listen, here's the word. We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us. Undoubtedly today, many people don't even have a father. They don't know who their father is living in the home. That's what's wrong with our country. We don't have this example. And we submitted and respected them for training us. Shall we not much more willingly submit to the Father of spirits and live by learning from his discipline? And God does discipline those he loves, the Bible says very clearly. How many, just for fun, how many got a spanking growing up? You, how many got spankings on a regular basis like heartbeats? All right, God bless you. All right, that's why we have such a good church. We're a discipline, a discipline folk, right? Finally, Hebrews 12, 9, there, look what he says. He tells you clearly, this is the example. And share this with brothers and sisters, with friends, lost people. Share the word of God with them, saying this is what the word of God says. And let me give you some advice, by the way, really quick. Those of you young parents, do not, it doesn't say spare not the wooden spoon. It doesn't say spare not the flask water. It doesn't say spare not the belt even. It says spare not the what? The rod, which is a small stick that the shepherd would use for sheep. A small switch, as we call it in the south. So if you're using something different, don't, don't use your hands. Your hands are made for love. That stick is made for not a stick, not a big old, don't beat them to death, right? But that small switch is to make correction, and God's put extra padding back here on the backside so they can receive uh, that padding, all right, that, that swinging. All right, let's finish it up last one. God's goal in our discipline is what? What does God want from us? To conform us to his will. You will do what I say to do when I say to do it. Have y'all seen parents today at Walmart and other places? 
Parents are like, please don't, honey, 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 quit t- knocking all the Captain Crunch off the shelf. Honey, 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 not quit knocking the pickles off, right? That's one, that's one, that's one, that's one, that's one, that's two, that's two, that's two. It drives me insane. I can't go in public anymore. I told Wendy I have to put my head down and go get what I got to get and come out because I want to help them help their children, right? Anyway, all right, y'all are laughing at me. How many of y'all felt that way in the, in the store? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, see, because we know. We understand what does the Word of God say that children should be subjective to their parents because if they won't honor you, they won't honor him. Amen? If you won't honor your earthly father, you will not honor your heavenly father because you can't violate his law. You can't violate what he says to do. So I want to challenge you today. Listen, encourage folks. Encourage those that you love. So what's the outcome of faithfulness, church? If you're faithful in your giving, giving of yourself, you're faithful of your TTR, we call it your time, your talent, your resource. If you're faithful, what is the godly outcome that's going to happen? Godliness, faithfulness. He's going to look to you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. So let's go ahead and let's measure. Don't show anybody. I don't know if you can hide your hand. I got a jacket on, right? One to five. Five's like, I'm knocking it out of the park. One's like, I stink at it, right? Go ahead and sit on your hand or whatever, right? Put it, put it, hide it somewhere like this. How are you on your Bible reading, one to five? Just don't show me. I don't see it. That's between you and the Lord. I don't care, right? I mean, I care, but that's why I'm preaching the message, right? How are you on your Bible reading? All right, everybody switch it up. How are you on your giving of your money to the Lord's work? There's this buzzer that went across, right? Like, well, I, can, I guess, I, are, you, are we at least minimally tithing? When we go back and look into the beginning, Abraham gave a tenth. Out of every ten things he had, he gave one of them to, the, to Melchizedek, the priest. How are we doing in our prayer life? Go ahead and grade yourself. Don't walk out there thinking you're pious. I, he asked me to ask a question. I ain't never going to that church. Answer while you're here. Let me go ahead and make you mad while you're here. How are you doing in your Bible reading? How are you doing in your financial giving? How are you doing in your prayer life? Teenagers, measure yourself as well. Give yourself a grade. And listen, if you're not making all A's, you need to actually get to that point that you're putting aside the sins that are besetting you, right? How are you doing in your fellowship with brothers and sisters within the body? How are you doing actually in discipleship? I'm going to get, every time the church gives an offering, I'm going to, an opportunity to actually learn something new, I'm going to be there. I can tell you, there's five people in Teach Us How to Pray on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, whatever class we're doing, Wednesday nights. There's five people. Tanisha, am I telling the truth? Five people. And some of y'all, I know you're not praying, right? Listen, because Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They didn't know how to pray. And we're just taking the word of God and saying, what does the word of God say? Well, Pastor, I can't be here. Then get the notes. Somebody come to me and say, Pastor, only two people have done this. Pastor, I can't make Wednesday nights, but I'd like to have the notes from the class so I can learn how to pray properly, biblically. Not Pastor Clint's way, because it's not my way. It's from Scripture. Two people. Look around. Five in class plus two. What does that equal? Say it out loud. Seven. And if you're not one of those seven, listen, I guess your prayer life's awesome. You don't need any improvement right? No, not to be, we all can improve. We all can improve, thus saith the Lord. I want to challenge you, listen, grade yourself, because if you don't, the Bible says if you don't judge yourself, he will judge you. Read it for yourself, Ephesians chapter, I mean, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, look, judge yourself, look at yourself before he does. Let's pray together, listen, today, I want to challenge you, I hope this pushes you a little bit, 
Remember, the people that are in hell are great evangelists because they would tell you the truth. People here on earth, we should be even greater evangelists than those in hell. Would you agree? Would you think people in heaven would be tell, come back, if they could come back and tell you the truth, would they celebrate and be great evangelists, people that are in heaven right now? Absolutely, because they say, it's real, it's real, it's really real, right? And there's one way, and how's that way to get to heaven, church? Through Jesus Christ alone. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, and he alone. That's the end. Let me pray for us. Father God, as we know this message today on Father's Day, Lord, it's a, it's a heavy lift for us. But even in, as the writer of Hebrews told us, you likened to your discipline to that discipline of fathers to children today. And fathers today are not disciplining their children. Many fathers aren't even staying in the home today because they have so many other sins that beset them. They want to go run and be high schoolers or college students all over again in their 30s and 40s and 50s. Uh, they want to be that young and free again. And they're old and going to die. Father, I pray for dads today that they would get back to being fathers in the home, that fathers would discipline their own children so that their children can understand when hard times come, when we're pressed about on every part and every side by the world, when you discipline us directly because you want us to do better in certain things, that we wouldn't get angry with you. Lord, we would say, the Lord has done this thing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But today, people won't even come close to knowing you, Lord. It's getting less and less people who know you as their Lord and Savior and more and more on the Broadway going to hell. And here we are as a church, Lord. Would you first mend our hearts and our health in the church? Let dads recover their position of who you called them to be first and foremost as fathers. And Father, then mothers and the Lord, then the children let us use the godly example of discipline, the godly example of love in the home so that our students and our children can understand how much you love us and discipline us. God, we bless your name today. We thank you for being our heavenly father, much greater than our earthly fathers. And Father, we turn our hearts to you today and say, Lord, it's only in, in your word and your name that, Lord, we can move forward and bring glory to you. Help us, Lord, because we're in need of help, and we know that you will. In Jesus' name we pray for his sake. Amen.